Shut up and sit down. <laughs> yeah, like insert SD face. Ha ha ha! <laughs> Sound play is what your ears are enjoying right now. Listen to those words coming from those SSU students all day. Sound play. Sound play. <laughs> Trademark. Sound play. Sound play. Sound play. Just sound play. Oh, radio show. That's Audio work from students at SSU. Woo! So we have three really awesome audio projects to share with listeners today. All three of the projects are modeled after episodes from an existing podcast called Everything is Alive. And Everything is Alive is a really funny podcast that I stumbled across over Christmas break. And the podcast is essentially about the lives of inanimate objects. So I thought that students might have some real fun composing in this particular genre. So these three students, these three composers, they are all in my digital writing class and they all took up the challenge of composing an episode that could be played on the existing podcast, Everything is Alive. So first we have Robbie Christensen and he's going to introduce his own piece. Hi, my name is Robbie Christensen. I'm a finance student at Salem State. My audio project is about the life of an athletic stadium in West Virginia. Enjoy. How you doing? My name is Milan Pushkar. People think I'm a football stadium. I think of myself as an entertainment stadium, if you will. Uh, I hate being called Mountaineer Field. Please do not call me that. I'm from Morgantown, West Virginia, as you may know. I'm 39 years old. I see it about 60,000 fans. Uh, not all the time are they fans. I mean, sometimes, you know, the bad ones come and go. <laughs> I haven't been sold out in over five years, so that's kind of disappointing. But uh, I love holding multiple events here, uh, whether it's football, lacrosse, track, all the athletes. They have a great time. But lately, I've been feeling unappreciated, you know, and... Uh, Events have been real unenjoyable lately, and it's it's mainly because attendance isn't the same as what it used to be, and I get that I'm not, you know, NFL or these high-priced stadiums with their new dome attachments and things like that, but I still have feelings, too, and I, I like to give my fans an enjoyable time, and that doesn't always happen, but... For 39 years, it's what I've dedicated my life to, is making sure that fans and the people who come have a great time. And whether it's athletes or the parents or the students or the, even the dance tailgaters, you know, that have no no respect. I mean, sorry, I'm trying to keep my cool. Um, but I'm, I'm stuck cleaning the mess, you know. The trash, they puke all over the place. They put gum on me. They're writing on me. And I would think all I do for these people, they would at least treat me with some kind of respect. But no, no, I, I open my doors and for what to be stomped on and have beer thrown on me fights. I wasn't built for this. Not for that. I mean, in my earlier years, everybody was extremely pleasurable. Maybe it's because I, I was new with the fact that people treated me with more respect. You know, but the events now, they're, they're just not the same. When I haven't felt the vibration from the crowd noise in over 20 years, it's just, it's quiet and you hear it. No, it's, it's basically a peep. It goes up. And it's, 
it, it, it's nothing, you know, I, I'm sorry. Um, but at first I thought it was my fault until I realized people were treating me differently. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting old and, you know, I'm not the fanciest stadium in the neighborhood anymore, but I still have needs. I mean, you would think at almost 40 years, somebody would build me at least one upgrade. I mean, come on. I'm cracking at the foundation, and I still get no attention to it, so. I mean, how can I compete to these new stadiums? You know, they have, like I said, detachable domes and waterfront views. State-of-the-art technology. I don't have Wi-Fi. Built in 1980. You know, all I have to offer is concrete and the weather outside. It's, <laughs> it makes me feel worthless, and... And really, I don't ask for much. I mean, I can't be considered a real stadium unless people are enjoying themselves or, or filling up my seats. And the fact that not one part of me has felt the vibration from crowd noise in over three years is I'm, I'm thinking crazy thoughts. I'm thinking the band starts playing, I'm just, I lose it. I'm trying to keep it together, but I'm I'm at the point where I'm thinking about deconstructing myself just to feel a little bit of movement. You know, I mean, I know it's drastic, but can anyone in this place give me an orgasm, or do I have to do everything myself? Again, that was Robbie Christensen. Up next, we have Alec Connell, who is also going to introduce his piece. Here's Alec Connell here. I am a senior at Salem State, graduating this semester, hopefully. I composed a lighthearted account of a police car who is more scared of the officers operating him than the criminals he takes in. Uh, so my name is Peter, and well, I'm a police car. Can you um hear me okay? Do I sound all right? Uh... You sound fine to me, Peter. Why don't you start with just telling us about yourself? What do you do? Well, it's funny you ask, because what I do on a daily basis makes it seem strange that I would be so nervous for this interview. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff, sad, tragic, and uncomfortable things in my seven years on the road. Just be yourself, Pete. Is it all right if I call you Pete? I'd prefer Peter, I suppose. I'm actually used to being called a slew of different names. Smith's Cruiser, Smith's RMP, Smith's Gumball Machine, and Unit 117. Sometimes Skells and Perps yell out Fuzz, Popos, or Cherry Tops when they see me getting close by. So I guess that's all me. Is there anything I can do to help you get more comfortable? Actually, I hope this isn't too personal, but would you mind maybe popping up the hood once and tightening the blue nozzle to my windshield wiper fluid? That's been bugging me for weeks and Smith never bothers to check on me. Make sure I'm cozy, have the right levels of fluid or oil. Uh, sure, I suppose. I guess I'll just lift it here and then... Oh, alright, I, I see what you're saying. That's rather loose. There we go. And I'll just shut this now? God, what a relief. Oh man, thanks. Sure thing. So earlier you mentioned Smith. So I'm assuming that's maybe the main officer who operates you? 
Oops, yeah, sorry. I forgot this is my moment. I'm sort of viewed as an object that he just owns, so now I have claimed that unfortunate identity. Most of the folks who come in and out of me have never bothered to learn my name. They know where I have come from and what I can accomplish for them, but not much of who I am, you know? I'm not just Smith's plaything. I hear what you're saying. I think our listeners could really relate to that feeling of being unseen or underappreciated. To give them a better idea of who you are, could you describe what you look like for me? Yeah, okay. I overhear descriptions of victims and criminals all day, so this is something I'm familiar with. I'm a black and white Ford Crown Victoria, made in 2011. That's a four-door sedan, in case anyone didn't know. The men who crafted me piece by piece called me Peter the Prowler in a joke, and it just stuck. My engine is a bit larger than the other cars of my make and model, but I'm guessing that's because they made me with the intention of police work. Um, I have lights installed on my head that flash sometimes on the road when I'm moving fast. My insides are black plastic and faux leather, but it's not too dark because all the buttons and displays that light up. Oh, and there's an itchy barricade through the middle of me to separate the front seats from the back. Hate that thing. People are always banging against it or scratching, but never on the right spot. Huh. That's gotta be irritating. I'm sure you meet a lot of interesting characters every day, don't you? Well, I'm stationed in a low-crime area, so I do meet the occasional eccentric, but the ones I'm most familiar with are the officers from my own police department. And where is that? The officers back home would be disappointed. I didn't do justice to my exterior. I have painted on my side Swansea Police Department in blue lettering. Between my eyes and on my rear, I have these rectangles that the officers are obsessed with. They're always shouting out and writing down the numbers and letters on other cars. Mine has only three numbers on it, and other vehicles have much more creative varieties. Swansea? So that's in Massachusetts, right? Small town? Yes, which brings me back to what I was getting at before. Every so often, I'm around a true scoundrel, but the people who scare me the most are the officers who I'm around daily. That's interesting, but also not good, for many reasons. You're telling me. The door slamming, the donut crumb, and they rev the engine far too frequently, which just for the record, is extremely painful. Could you describe that experience? Do I want to? No. Can I? Well, probably. What would you say is the human equivalent to an engine? Most likely, the heart. Alright, so imagine your heart as it normally is after you've been turned on. I'll try my best. So you're just relaxing in park, and then just imagine all of a sudden, your heart starts taking in a tremendous amount of air and gasoline, causing many micro-explosions inside you that make you excrete waste. Instantly. Keep in mind also, that some other creature dictates the severity of this experience, unapologetically, and sometimes out of nowhere. One second you're singing along to 92 Pro FM's greatest hits, and the next you're a live-action Hot Wheels commercial. Thank you for bringing that to my attention, Peter. I truly did not think it was uncomfortable for you. I assumed a car was engineered to support that. I mean, humans are technically engineered with the equipment and capability to reason more so than, say, me or a plane. So you not being able to make that connection is... disappointing. This is why people scare me. See, you seem like a nice all-around gal, but many of you are just really hard to relate to. 
And because you spend most of your time surrounded by people, I'd imagine that it's really unpleasant for you. You're not wrong. Almost all day, every day. Other cars are weary of the officers too, so I know it's not just me. Because of them, I don't get much social time. Whenever I'm around other vehicles, they swerve away from me to the side of the road or change their speed so that I can't keep up or have to slow way down to be able to say hi. It makes me think what Smith and the others are up to that makes everyone so scared of them. Cause it's not me. Sorry to hear that. Bad company is sometimes worse than no company at all, huh? Definitely. Smith one time allowed some fellow with a leaky motor into my back seat. And the guy just sat there in the fluid. And Smith must have known. How could he have not noticed? The smell. What is worse is he did not even bother to try and clean it afterwards. I can't reach back there. He knows that, doesn't he? I would imagine he would know that. Since you might not get the chance again to let officers know about the injustices going on inside their own cruisers. Would you like to maybe send a message out to them before we finish? That's a good idea. Control the narrative. Alright, um, okay, here we go. Smith, others of the Swansea Police Department, or anyone working in law enforcement, you're all so worried about what other people are doing wrong, you never reflect on how you yourself are very, very wrong. Learn to treat those around you with respect. That's all I have to say for today. Great job. That was Peter Police Car, everyone. Such power. Anyways, that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. Again, that was Alec Connell, and the last project we're going to hear today was composed by Michael Jordan. Here's Michael. Hello, I'm Michael Jordan, and I'm a sophomore studying political science here at SSU. My podcast you're about to hear follows Sheldon the Shovel and his experience of being used to bury the dead. Hello, you are listening to Everything is Alive, brought to you by the National Shovel Council and from listeners like you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Sheldon and I am a shovel. In my life, I don't do much besides hang around in a garage. Literally hang, too. I made some friends hang up on this ball. We talk a lot in the free time that we have. I've been talking to this cute snow shovel who hangs right next to me, too. So, I'm a shovel. Doesn't leave much to the imagination. I'm used to dig up dirt once in a blue moon and to spread sand when it gets icy outside. That really is my only interaction outside of this garage. My looks? I have a strong face that is dark gray, round towards my bottom. I'm a bit rusty in the face, but it's not noticeable from afar. My body is a long, narrow piece of oak wood. My bottom is a metal handle. I may be thin and small, but I am strong. Now, the family who brought me home is okay. Not bad. Not great. They leave me alone in this garage way too often for my liking. Makes time seem to go on forever. I do see them, though, from time to time. They keep their cards in this garage, so I occasionally see the family at the beginning and end of each day. The couple originally found me at Home Depot. May have hated it there more than I do now with my family. That store made me feel uncomfortable, with its unflattering fluorescent lighting, boring elevator music, I was constantly being stared at, judged on my looks. When I was finally taking off the shelf, I'd found my calling. 
In the first couple of weeks of being in my new home, I started to notice two little girls. They were sisters, constantly around each other. They grew up quickly, too. Seeing them grow up, play with one another, have each other's backs was hurtful for me. I was lonely in this garage. These little girls had found best friends with one another. Nothing for me to do but enjoy the view, make small talk with my nearby friends. I felt no motivation for life, no goal. I felt excluded from my family. Sitting up on that wall almost destroyed who I was. It wasn't until the night before the sisters were moving from home that I was woken up to an unexpected surprise. It was a dark but clear spring night, the kind of night you don't expect anything like this to happen. I woke up to being grabbed by one of the sisters. I could tell she was bringing me to the trunk of the car, but on my way over I could see the other sister paralyzed in the driver's seat with tears running down her face. I had no time to process what was happening before I was thrown in the trunk alongside with an unusual amount of trash bags. The entire ride, all I could hear was muffled talking from the two sisters. From what I could tell, the sister driving had made a mistake, and her sister was reassuring her everything was going to be fine. What she meant at the time, I had no clue. It wasn't until I finally figured out that I was stuffed in the trunk alongside a dead body that it came together. While I was freaking out in the back, the girls kept reassuring one another. I pushed it down at the time, but I was overcome with jealousy. Why don't I have someone that could calm me down in the situation I was just put in? When we finally stopped, all I could tell was we were in the woods somewhere. Trees surrounded us. That was my only clue before I was taken out of the trunk and put to work. The sister who was riding in the passenger seat was using me to dig up the big enough hole to hold the body that was still in the trunk. To this day, I still have no idea who was buried or how they related. My guess, it must have been someone close to the girls. Without my permission, they had made me an accessory to murder, and I felt violated. These two girls have never thought about me, and I cried the whole way back. The next day, the two sisters were long gone and had moved on with their lives. And me, I was stuck at home, on the wall, with nothing but my thoughts of that night constantly going through my head. I was not just about to sit there and take it. One day, the police came looking. They were asking the parents some questions at the door when I first noticed the cops. Of course, the couple had no idea about any of it. I didn't even know what to do or how to get the cops' attention. Before I knew it, I'd throw myself off the wall and slammed right onto the floor. The police and the couple came running in. I'd finally gotten the attention I needed. I'd finally found my purpose with this family. I was taken to a lab where I was tested for DNA matches. I'd helped convict the two girls who had used me that night. I was no longer an accessory to murder. I was helping solve one. Again, that was Michael Jordan. Thanks so much for listening. I turn the show into a podcast, so please be sure to subscribe to Soundplay. You can find it through iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Tune in in a couple weeks for a new episode. Have a great one.